Today's Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 25, starting from verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two bags more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man harvesting where you've not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think everybody knows the Boy Scouts motto. The Boy Scouts motto is be prepared. Very simple, memorable thing. I think for small kids, it's not too difficult to get your head around. Two words, be prepared. But even though everyone knows the motto, have you ever stopped to think about what that means? Be prepared. I mean, it begs the question, doesn't it? To be prepared for what? I mean, in some ways, I've got to say, I think it is a bit of a silly motto, isn't it? Be prepared. Now, I can say this with a degree of authority because I was in the Cubs when I was growing up. That's me, nine years of age, getting ready to go to Cubs. And I can honestly say that even at that age, I thought it was a strange motto. Be prepared. What am I to be prepared for? Was I to be prepared for Cubs? Well, yes, I was. My shoes were clean, my socks were pulled up, my scarf and my wogger were just right, my cap was just right. I was pre- if that's what they meant, then I couldn't have been more prepared. I was ready. But I'm sure that the motto actually meant more than that. But as a nine-year-old, what was I supposed to be prepared for? Prepared to cook a souffle? 
uh, prepared to go water skiing, prepared to bullfight, I don't know, brain surgery? What, what was I supposed to be prepared for? So if you're going to be prepared for something, then you need to know what it is that you're prepared for and how you need to be prepared for it. And that's what's at the very heart of this passage that we're looking at today, these parables that Jesus told. There's a setting for the parables and it's found in chapter 24. Jesus has entered into Jerusalem and he has come, he's come to face his death on the cross. He's come to be crowned as the king of God's people. Now, I have no doubt that chapter 24 is probably the hardest chapter in Matthew's gospel to understand. Most of it is written in a style that we call apocalyptic. It's picture language, it's big language that it's described in. The chapter begins with this rather cryptic comment about destroying the temple and Jesus building it up again. But Jesus isn't talking about that bricks and mortar building. He's talking about his own death on the cross. So the disciples asked Jesus two questions. When will this happen and what will be the sign that it's going to happen? Now, while chapter 24 contains some confusing stuff, the point that Jesus wants to make is actually very simple. And if you've got your Bible there, chapter 24, verse 42 is where Jesus clarifies the point that he's wanting to make. He says this, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But but understand this, if the owner of a house had known at what time of the night a thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be prepared because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you are not expecting him. Be prepared. That's what Jesus is saying, isn't it? And what are we to be prepared for? We are to be prepared for the return of Jesus. And what we have in in chapter 25 is three parables that develop and drive home that idea about being prepared. Three parables where you need to be ready, you need to be prepared. The first parable At the start of chapter 25, we're told that there are 10 virgins or 10 young ladies. They're the kind of groomsmaids, if we can put it that way. They're waiting for the groom to arrive and for the wedding celebration to begin. Weddings back in those days were a little bit different to the weddings that we may have today. Uh, You know, the weddings would last for three, four, maybe even five days. And it seems the exact starting time of the wedding wasn't totally clear that it happened just when everything was ready, when everything was prepared. So in this story, we're told that the groom, who's presumably coming from some distance, is they're, they're waiting for him to arrive for the celebrations to begin. It's customary for the bride to be late. If she was a few minutes late, that's not a problem, maybe 20 minutes, half an hour late. If the bride was two hours late, we'd be starting to think there's something not quite right here. I, I, I don't think she's coming. Well, weddings back in those days, you weren't even sure what day it was going to start, let alone what hour it would start. But in the parable, they're waiting for the groom to arrive, these 10 young ladies whose responsibility it would be to help the groom have everything ready for the wedding celebration to begin. Their job is to greet the groom when he arrives. But they had no idea when the groom was going to come. Five of the young ladies, we're told, are wise and they were prepared. They kept some extra oil because if he arrived in the middle of the night, they needed to be able to put their lamps on and help him to be prepared. But the other five were not prepared. 
they hadn't bothered to get any any extra oil. So when the bridegroom came at midnight, five of them were able to assist. They trimmed their lamps and they were ready to go. But the other five, they ran out of oil. They weren't prepared and they weren't even able to enter into the, into the wedding celebration. Now, the point here is pretty simple. You don't have to think too hard about this one. There's no doubt that Jesus is the bridegroom. He is going to be the one who returns. And we are the ones who are doing the waiting and the watching. The point of the parable is right there in chapter 25, verse 13. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. I remember when our first child, Lauren, was born, uh, we were the average first-time parents getting nervous. Well, actually, it's not true. Deb was completely under control and I was the cot case in this situation. But we had a bag packed that was sitting behind the bedroom door. My memory was it was sitting there for about 10 months in preparation for this. Uh, But we had a bag there so that we could, at any moment, head off to the hospital for Deb to be able to have the baby. We knew, uh, we knew roughly when this was going to happen, kind of within a matter of a few weeks, but we didn't know the exact day. But we needed to be prepared. We needed to be ready. And that's the same idea that Jesus wants to impress here. Jesus is coming again. That's a fact. You can absolutely bank on that. We don't know exactly when he will come. We don't know the day. We don't know the week. We don't know the month. We don't know the year. But he wants us to be ready for his return. Now, that's the first part of what being prepared is, but then the next two parables go on to explain some more of it. The next parable is the one that we call the parable of the talents, and a talent was a measure of gold back in uh, in Jesus' day. And again, it's a simple story. A boss is going away, he entrusts each of his servants with different amounts of money, $5,000 to one, 2000 to another, 1000 to the third one. But notice what it says there, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. It's the boss's property that they have been entrusted with. Entrusted with his money, so when he returns, he will want to see what they have done with his money. The first two men use the money wisely and get a good return. The third guy put the bag in a sock drawer and just kept it hidden away so that uh, he wouldn't lose any of the money. The boss returns, he's pleased with the first two and disappointed with the third man because he hadn't done anything with it. Now, if the first parable is about being prepared, then the second parable is about how to live the prepared life. Again, from the parable, Jesus is the boss who's entrusted the money and is going away and will come back again. And Jesus wants us to be about his work while he is gone, using what he has entrusted to us, the talents, the skills, the abilities, the resources that he's given to us, that we are to use them in his service. Now, make sure you notice this very carefully. For the first two servants... He says that they are faithful. See what it says there, verse 21 or verse 23. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. He commends them for faithfulness, not for cleverness, not for good business acumen, not even for the size of their financial returns. 
It's their faithfulness that he commends them for. They were given different amounts of money and the first two were faithful with what was entrusted to them. He's the boss. They are the servants. They were faithful to the boss and the boss commends them for their faithfulness. That brings us to the last parable and this one almost needs no explanation. Starting in verse number 34, the parable of the sheep and the goats. On the day of judgment, this parable says that the world will be divided into two groups, the sheep and the goats. Let's have a quick read of it. Verse 34, this is towards the end of the parable. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying, if you're kind and nice to other people, then you get to go to heaven. That's not what he's saying. Jesus did say that the Christian life could be summed up in two verses from the Old Testament. What it is that God wants from people is this to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and then as a result of that, to love your neighbour as yourself. What God wants from his people, as people who trust in Jesus, is that we would love God with all of our hearts and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. And because we love God because we know what it is to be loved by God, we will love our neighbours as much as we love ourselves. Jesus says that the two things ought to go hand in hand. And that's what he's saying in this parable. He's saying that he will come again and those who love him, those who are waiting for his return, will be prepared by loving their neighbours by serving those around them. Be prepared. It's a pretty simple message, isn't it? And I know it's a message that I certainly need to keep on hearing. We need to keep remembering that Jesus is coming again. That should be the the significant date in the future that we are all waiting for and the date that shapes how we do things while we wait. So how do we need to be prepared? Well, the first and foremost, by knowing that Jesus is coming again. By far the most important way to be prepared is to be sure that you know Jesus personally. There's a verse in this parable that I think is probably one of the scariest verses in the entire Bible. When the bridegroom comes and the five bridesmaids go into the banquet, but look at at what he says to the late ones, the ones who weren't ready, the ones who didn't get to go to the wedding. Chapter 25 Uh, Verses 10 to 12 are those verses, but it's these words from the bridegroom where he says, I never knew you. So when Jesus comes again, when you stand before Jesus on that last day, there could be no scarier words to hear than those ones. For Jesus to say, really sorry, I, I don't know you. So when it comes to who will be saved, when it comes to who will be sharing eternity with God, it really is a matter of who you know. 
There is one person that you must know, and that is Jesus. Unless you've come to that point of placing your trust in Jesus, unless you can say that you know him, that you have accepted him as king of your life, unless you can say with confidence that you know Jesus, then you're not prepared. Jesus is coming again, and when he comes, there'll be two types of people in this world, those who know him and those who don't. But then there are the other two parables. Jesus says that while we are waiting for him to return, we need to use the things that have been entrusted to us to serve him. So how are we to wait for Jesus to return? Well, we need to be sure we're about Jesus' work. What is the boss's work? Well, I don't think there's a simple answer to that question. The boss's work is going to depend on the skills and abilities and resources that have been entrusted to you. But what is clear is this, we're to serve Jesus with every part of our lives, we're to serve him in the way that we work, we're to serve him in the way that we care for our family, we're to serve him in the way that we speak out against injustice, we're to serve him in the, using our money wisely, we're to serve him by uh, being a loving Christian family, we are to serve him by loving our neighbours as ourselves, we are to serve him by caring for those in need and the list could go on and on. We can serve God in the smallest ways in our life and we can serve God in the biggest ways in our life. And we serve God with the resources that he's entrusted to us. Our house, our time, our bank account, our intellectual abilities. But most importantly, we help other people, we serve other people by helping them to know that Jesus is coming again. Again, it's a, it's a frightening thing, isn't it, to, to know that there will be some people on that last day to whom Jesus will say, I never knew you. And the greatest way that we can serve God and serve others is by helping them to come to know Jesus personally. Personally. 